You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Welcome to a Pop Culture Tuesday podcast here on Westwood One. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me. Our podcast each day is powered by CRTV, and we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is spelled D E A C E. And speaking of CRTV, who benevolently underwrites the cost of this podcast every day to make it free for you, the people. Uh, We just wrapped up production for our CRTV television show today. Aaron, let's give the audience a preview of what's coming up today at CRTV.com. Great show. I'm trying to figure out any of these times we have conversations about Trump and what he should do and what he's not doing and trying to understand him and breaking down the the psyche of Trump. Um, That's a 14 slip. Uh, It it is... (laughs) I, I don't know. If you were transported here from the year 2004 and you just sat, on, it sat in on the conversation, anybody, anybody who is somewhat familiar with American politics was transported into the roundtable today from the year 2004, what do you think they'd say? What the hell, guys? What, what the hell happened here? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the same thing every single time we get into a conversation about Trump. Also had a really good, really really solid fake news or not and uh just a bat crap crazy opening montage so in all you know as far as other programming goes i'd say this was you know on a scale of one to ten with one being other programming and ten being other programming this was this was a solid six what what does long duck dong a virginia congressional campaign and the steve day show what do those things all have to do with one another? You know you want to know. And you will find out today at CRTV.com. Now, if, that, if that's not a tease, I think that might be the best tease I've ever done for CRTV right there. Todd, what stood out to you? Well, I can't remember the last time I had such a roller coaster of emotions just within myself on this show. I mean, I was pretty punchy out of the gate and just ended up mad and frustrated uh, uh, at the end, uh, in the middle, it was just like I, I had that uh, LeBron James LeMaze, uh, malaise that I uh, always get with just about anything he does. But um, you managed to make that malaise. Uh, I mean, you took what I thought was like, uh, are we really going to talk about LeBron James? But you made it existential, <laughs> honestly, because he bores me. To tears. I mean, he 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 is such a. I don't think there's ever been a greater waste of talent in terms of how, for good or for ill, a guy tries to translate that talent into having a voice in the social arena. I mean, he's just he's so bad. Kinda, kinda, kinda. I mean, he really doesn't know what he's trying to say. But Steve actually 
was patient with him like a really kind grown-up is with a, a child who just needs a, a little extra coddling to help him get through his uh, nonsense uh, and had a a good message that I'm sure almost nobody who follows Donald, uh, who follows uh, LeBron James will listen to. But if you want to listen to it, it's available for you today over at CRTV. CRTV.com is the website. Use my name, not just as a swear word this time, but as a promo code, D-E-A-C-E, and that will give you a discounted subscription to CRTV. How discounted? Try about a quarter a day is what it will cost you for a year to watch not just our show, but the great one, Mark Levin, and every single show we do here at CRTV. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. Now on to the Pop Culture Tuesday podcast. And gentlemen, I thought today we would discuss some recent movies slash shows I've been watching with some interesting worldview presentations and get your reaction to them. All right. First, I want to start with a television show. Um, godless society. Openly Godless mandated godlessness. Uh, There's no religious freedom, religious liberty whatsoever. All allegiance is to the state, is to the government. Um, The worst thing, other than, of course, being a traitor, and that's about the worst thing you can do in any type of society, free or otherwise, right, is is to be a traitor. The second worst thing is to be what they call a useless eater. Meaning, um, you're Alfie Evans. You can't contribute anything. You're too physically deficient. You're too ill. You're too sick. And all you are doing is taking away from the system. And there's no point in continuing on with your life when that is the case. And the main goal of this godless society that has removed any religious freedom and has its ultimate authority and allegiance to the state, its main goal, it, and it states this, is the fulfillment of human progress. And one of the ways it seeks to fulfill human progress uh, is through the promotion of certain um, genetic techniques in order to make sure that we are the apex of the evolutionary process, which it is convinced is... the reason for existence in the first place. Do you see any... Is this a documentary you were watching? Uh, well, I'm, I'm asking you, what do you think this show is about that I was watching? I mean, you, why do you think it sounds like a documentary, Todd? Uh, because it sounds like us and half the issues we talk about on the show on a daily basis. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, it sounds like the West. That is, that is where we are. I mean, it's uh, change the names. What you just described the court, the 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 reality behind 
the words you use, the the reality behind the or underneath the description that you just laid out, mm-hmm. that's us. Hmm. Would you guys like to know which show this was? Sure. Is it Trump? <laughs> no. I just gave you, and I just finished with season two last week, the wife and I did. I, I just gave you the the driving plot line of the man in the high castle. Hmm. I finished season one. Hmm. Do you guys know what the That's, show, well, then you know what the show is about. Aaron, well, do you know what the show is I'm about? I'm not sure I do. I watched like the first episode and uh, at that point, I think I had been watching too many dark TV shows, so I didn't want to add another one in. What you said definitely resonates. Can you before we move on? Can I ask you one question to help me? Mm-hmm. I don't. How much? I don't know if it's a spoiler. At the end of the first season, which I thought was good, it, the whole the the older Asian foreign minister or something the like trade that, minister yep. who suddenly seems to transcend space and time mm-hmm. or something like that. Do you what? what ha, can, can you tell me what happened to help me understand if I really want to keep watching? Because right, I I'm going to answer this question, but I'm going to give a spoiler alert. Okay. Okay. Uh, but this may be a spoiler you want because as, as I watched season one, I almost gave up a couple of times because as much, because as much as I loved the setup for the show, I, the characters were to me, weren't interesting enough for me to keep going with sometimes. And that's why I want you to help the audience. So if they get into this, they might get frustrated unless you help them. Here's the spoiler alert. I'm going to give you the count of three and then I'm going to give you a spoiler. Okay. Three. Two, one. All right, you have been warned. All right. Like I said, if you're interested in this show, you may appreciate this spoiler because you will get a payoff if you stick with it, which I almost didn't do a couple of times. All right. So the the premise of the man in the high castle is that the Axis wins World War II. And this is now 20 years later. We're in the early 1960s. And this is what the world is like 20 years after the Axis victory in World War II. Um, We go back and forth between uh, the Western United States have been, the United States has been divided between the Nazis and the Japanese. The Japanese control the Pacific um, uh, corridor uh, and the Western U.S. There's a neutral zone and right through like Iowa and Kansas uh, and the Midwest, and uh, and then there is um, the rest of the country is controlled by the Nazis. Um, what you find out with the trade minister, trade minister, that's yeah, right, who wakes up at the end of because they're trying to hunt down these films produced by this guy known as the Man in the High Castle. That seem they can't figure out are they sh- are, are is this. Are these propaganda films? Are they prophetic films? Because some of them seem to be predicting future events, and some of them seem to be dated uh, in the past that predicted events that did occur. Uh, Kind of like Daniel. Yes. So they're trying to figure out, is this propaganda? Is this guy a prophet? Who is this guy? And in the whole first season, you don't ever know who he is. In the very opening episode of season two, you will meet him. Oh. All right? You will find out who he is, and you'll find out what is going on here. Um, And then... In the very end of season one, the trade minister, because what's interesting about this is you'll struggle. Here's, here's what you'll struggle with watching season one of Man in the High Castle. 
the most sympathetic figures, you'll hate almost all of the Americans. Like they're almost all just not, they're not likable characters. Even like the heroic ones are not very likable. And you will struggle with the fact that the two most likable characters are the Japanese trade minister and... Um, Upin Gropenfuer? Yeah, yes. Oh, yes. Rufus Sewell. Who's, Rufus Sewell's character, who's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, and I think would make one heck of a Lord Nefarious one yes. day. All right. But um, Rufus Sewell's character is the head of the Nazi regime in North America. He is their prefect, basically. He's their Pontius Pilate. And as we get further into season two, they'll become even more likable. And at first, you'll kind of resent that about the show in season one. But if you get into season two and you hear you see more of these guys as backstories and who they really are, I, I will not spoil that because I want it, I think that's worthy of getting your own effect for. OK, there's more going on here with these two guys than meets the eye. So I won't spoil anything with Rufus Sewell. The spoiler alert is the trade minister has some unique ability um, to vo- to travel to different alternative universes. And the man in the high castle is someone who has who also has this ability and is able to and is able to take newsreel films and footages from other timelines. And where the Axis did not win, but the Allies won. And he is trying to use this. So the answer is, are they prophetic or are they propaganda? The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> they are prophetic films from other, ti- from other timelines that, he, that are brought to this one in order to inspire a resistance. So prophecy isn't necessarily fate. It's just the art of the possible. Yes. Yeah. And, and to also deter, see, the Japanese and Nazis, as this alliance goes on, are realizing they really don't want to share the earth together. And they are heading towards, sooner or later, when the bullies have an alliance, the bullies will eventually turn on each other because they are what? Bullies. They're going to realize we don't want to... And, and in one of the other earth timelines this where the Axis did win, this did happen. The Nazis and the Japanese turned on each other and it became a mass nuclear exchange that wiped out all, earth, all life on earth. And so the man in the high castle is trying to fight a two-front war. On one hand, he's bringing in newsreel footage from other Earths where the Axis also won, but the Japanese and Germans always turn on each other and blow human, humankind a kingdom come to try and get these propaganda films out there to stop this from happening on his Earth. And then he's also bringing in films from other timelines where the Allies won, and he's trying to inspire the resistance in the West to stand up um, at the exact same time. these Both things are going on at the same time. And when the show starts out, Hitler is obsessed with these because we know from history that Hitler was obsessed with the occult. And that was his view, that this had some sort of occult. He was, this was some kind of soothsayer, you know, Oracle Adelphi that, you know, had made its way into modern times when it wasn't that at all. It's basically, what is it called? String theory, butterfly effect, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's basically what's happening here. And if you if you get if you get if you if you get to about the middle of the second season, the worm turns, and some of the characters that weren't likable, we know more of their more of their backstories and things of that nature, are far more relatable. The Nazi Rupert Soul's son right. uh, has much muscular dystrophy. He is a useless eater, and he has to protect his son from the very regime that he is. Um, 
that he is serving. So when you get towards the end, the last half dozen episodes of season two, it, it becomes the series you thought you were getting from the beginning. Because in the beginning, essentially the setup has to keep your attention because they don't always execute it the best, I don't think. I agree. But now I'm, I, I, season three comes out here in like a month or two. I, I can't wait. Hmm. But what I find fascinating is when I just gave you guys the general plot line, you thought I was talking about a documentary. Correct. And you guys know how much I hate Nazi references because 99.999% of the time, they're low-hanging fruit for the soft-headed. 99.9% of the time you use a Nazi or Hitler reference, you literally are a Nazi and Hitler. Yes. But in this case, some of the storylines, when you get past, when, when they get into the mundane of life, all the Jews are essentially exterminated or they are second-class citizens, okay? Uh, essentially, the initial offensive, the Nazis' initial cultural offensive has been successful. And now we're in the mun- mundane of life. Like, they, like, you know, they have television shows and stuff, and they're a lot like ours. Like, Dragnet is a very popular show on, in, in Man in the High Castle. Everybody watches it, but it's, you know, Tales of the Reich, and it's about, you know... Uh, Nazi uh, uh, cops cracking down on resistance fighters and Jews, okay? But we're 20 years past the conflict. The initial phase of Nazism has, has been rooted. So now life goes on, essentially. We're in the, and when you get rid of the, the, the confrontational imposition of Nazism, and we get 20 years later, when now it is just our way of life, and we're not fighting about it. We're just living it. You know what I'm saying? It's the accepted way of life. The parallels are stunning. When you just remove the labels. A healthcare system, centralized healthcare. And if you cannot contribute, there's no need to take care of you any longer. You are not permitted any moral thought, any religious thought not approved of by the state. you're not even permitted references to God at funerals. In many respects, the mundane life of this historical fiction show that's depicted in a post-WW2 era where the Axis wins is very much the ultimate wish fulfillment of hardened Western leftism. I'm just a facts, Jack. I'm not projecting anything at all. I mean, a lot of the things that, a lot of the things they're trying to overcome in this show are things we're debating right now. Let's move on to two other shows with maybe sunnier dispositions from a worldview perspective. Two other movies. You guys want to comment on that, by the way, before we move on from Man in the High Castle? So, points in the ledger for Nazi comparisons, huh? Yeah. From the Steve Day show, mm-hmm. huh? I think, it's, I think it really isn't about Nazism as much as Nazism or fascism or communism or socialism. All of these views that empower the state 
upon rejecting the authority and redemption of God cannot help but devolve into this. Yeah. Because this is who we are yeah. as a species. Whether it's uh, Il Duce, Der Fuhr, the motherland, the fatherland, the hammer and the sickle. It, 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 whatever the statist monstrosity is, whether it's in the UK, let's arrest journalists who are doing stories on Muslim extremists, whether it's Canada literally lying about it's a terrorist attack it had last week, and that's the official state exp- explanation of basically is to essentially lie, it seems. Okay, right? And even with their boy king, who d- frankly doesn't have the balls to be a totalitarian tyrant, they can't help, we, as a species, we can't help ourselves but devolve into man's inhumanity to man because regardless of what the ism is. See, that's the thing. We get always caught up so much in the ism. Well, that's not my ism. I'm a democratic socialist. I mean, we're going to vote on this stuff. I don't care what the ism is. And, and I don't care whether it's Jews over here, whether it's um, Western civilization over there, whether it's haves and have-nots over here, whatever, whoever the other is, that, that is the foil. Whether it's Goldenstein or, or, or Snowball, whoever is the straw man foil you concoct in your mind as the reason why your particular way of life hasn't triumphed yet, hasn't ushered in Pax human humanism, hasn't reached apex human pro- progress. Whoever you blame for that, when you remove divine accountability and divine responsibility and divine redemption. See, you had to offer all those three things. I'm sure my Catholic friend would agree with me. Luther was right about this. We got to have the law and we got to have grace. We got to have them both. Would you agree on that? No problem for me. We got to, we, we have to have them both because you see, if we have law and no grace, boy, there have been plenty of societies we're in the name of the we're in the name of a particular church. There have been great evils foisted upon. Burn the witches, no doubt. We've got to have them both. We have to have God's authority, God's judgment, and God's redemption. Whenever you have a society that doesn't permit into its bloodstream those three things, and it has to be all three, meatloaf it won't work here. Two out of three ain't is bad. Two out of three will actually get you really, actually gets really bad when you offer two and one of the other, without one of the other ones. We have to have, it's a package deal. And we don't have, when you have a society that, that refuses these three things into its bloodstream, we cannot help ourselves as a species. We are sinners. We are fallen. We will eventually devolve into, into totalitarianism. We can't help ourselves. It's just a matter of what the ism will be. And who will be the driving force of it? That's all. And that's the number one main reason, Nazism. Aside from, well, it's the number two reason. The number one reason is Nazi comparisons 
cheapen and trivialize the closest thing we've probably had in modern humankind to demonic ideology being realized as a human endeavor corporately by a nation state. You know what I'm saying by that? Yeah. Where literally the doctrines of demons go mainstream and and become the laws and constitution of a people. And I think it's I think it's demonic and wicked to, to trivialize that and cheapen it. That level of malevolence, that level of concentrated evil. The second reason is, is well, that's not my ism, so that couldn't happen to me. I can, our ism over here, we can reject God, his authority, his way, his redemption, and, and we'll usher in this new enlightenment, and we won't be mean. Oh. It won't look like that. It'll be a different flag, maybe with rainbow colors instead of a swastika. We won't do that to people. We won't put people in jail that don't agree with us. We won't shut their businesses down if they don't agree. We won't be like that. Oh, yes, you will. And you'll feel pretty good about it. And you'll feel real good about it, actually. Because it's who we are as a species. Because Darwin was right, just not in the way that he thought. If we aren't created in God's image, we are exactly who Darwin said we were. Highly evolved animals with a superior cognitive ability to the rest of the animal kingdom. Nothing more and nothing less. And that's how we will live. And in my, with my enlightenment, you don't want to sign up for it. Well, bigots don't deserve rights. Bigots don't get free speech. And how do I determine if you're a bigot? You don't want to sign up for my enlightenment, so that must mean you're a bigot. Tell me these aren't the conversations we're having today. Always. Always. In every human society for the last 6,000 years that found itself estranged from God's judgment, authority, and redemption has, has gone here too. It's why you've heard me quote Chesterton so many times. When the government removes God, the government what? Becomes God. Indeed. Any other thoughts, Aaron? No. That's incredibly well said. And talk about natural consequences. That's what you just described. It's Mm -hmm. not so much that uh, it's God's judgment, so much as God's judgment is built in naturally into his creation. It's cause and effect. That's what you just described. Um, I was thinking about this uh, the other day, and I don't want to belabor this topic. It's it's a great, great thing to talk about. But I was asked this, um, is it possible to reconstruct natural law without theological statements? Meaning, is it, a, is it possible to have something like natural law without God? And the answer is no, because at the end of the day, you cannot, um, you cannot make a positive statement about what is good, like 
I don't know what's best for humanity over the course of history. You cannot say that good is good without the uh, absolute um, definition of good that a an almighty God provides. And so when you take um, almighty God out of the equation, at the end of the day, anything becomes good. What we call evil today becomes good. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're describing. It's just, it is, when you... When you eliminate God, anything, like literally anything bad can happen. Yes. And you know why? Because there's nobody to be accountable to if it does. That's why. There's no reason for you not to rationalize it as as the bad is something good. Because you become your own God. There's no divine accountability. And when there's no divine accountability, there's really never any accountability at all. So let's move on. Since we're talking about divine accountability, that's a good segue to the equalizer too. Did you guys see the first one? Aaron, yes. did you see it? You did, Todd, you did? It's excellent. Probably I fell asleep. I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Curmudgeonly snowflake millennial mm-hmm. Aaron is my favorite Aaron. Yes. Uh, I love the first one too. Uh, this one's not quite as good. Uh, the first hour drags. The second hour, you have to be very patient to get there. The second hour is much better. But there's two scenes in this film that um, I don't think will spoil anything, so I'm not going to give a spoiler alert. But there's two scenes in this film that really stood out to me in what was said between the characters. The first involves... A talented uh, young black painter, college student in the uh, uh, suburban uh, D.C. apartment complex that uh, he lives in. I think he lives in suburban D.C. Maybe it's someplace else. But uh, anyway, this is uh, a talented young painter, black painter, college student that lives in this complex. And uh, or maybe it's a high school student. I don't know. So and I don't know if he's maybe he's in high school now that I think about it, but he's he Denzel Washington's character takes an interest in him and essentially tries to uh, mentor him. And there's a key moment where he finds himself, uh, the young black painter, uh, succumbing to uh, the local gang. And Denzel just goes all badass. He goes into the dilapidated building where this drug gang is their HQ and just starts dropping dudes. I mean, he is going, he's going into a search and rescue mission. He's going to pull this young man out of here. And he does. And they get into a big argument at, after, he, after he attempts to save him from uh, giving, throwing the rest of his life away for this gang. And in the middle of their argument, he hands him a loaded gun, puts it in his hand, Puts it to his, puts his hand with the gun in it to his forehead. Says, "Hey, you are you're a tough guy. You're a big, you're a badass. You a gangster. You a thug. Pull the trigger. You ever seen death? Because I've been around a lot of it. You're all hard. You're all tough. Pull the trigger right now. Put me down right now. You another black man that the white man didn't give a chance to. You're to fall for that crap." You're the one making difficult choices, throwing your life away for a gang. You have a real talent, a real ability. 
Is he saying all this he with the gun to his head? To too? him with the gun oh, to see, his that's head. That's even better. That's and awesome. says, "Hey, if you and if, so, if you think if you're if if you, if you if you think you're a victim, pull the trigger. You think this is the right way to go? Pull it. Show us what kind of man you are. How hard you are. That scene got my attention. Love Denzel. Then there's another scene though." that's far more subtle that I think might even be better than that. So we find out who the real villain is. I will not spoil that for you. I mean, if you've seen the trailer, you know the plot. Uh, The woman who's his best friend, his former CEO from his days in U.S. intelligence, uh, from the previous movie, she gets killed. And he's out to avenge her death. That's in the trailer. That's the plot of the movie. What they don't reveal to you is who is responsible for taking her out. And man, there is one great scene. The best scene in the movie is when he goes to the house of the person who did it. And him and his cohorts that took out his friend are standing outside. I won't reveal who any of these people are. They're standing outside and one of them's family comes out. They're going to go to school. And he is, it's the scene you see in the trailer when he goes, I'm going to kill every one of you. And my only regret is I only get to do it once. And they're having this conversation while he's being saying hi hi to his wife. Hey, can I catch a ride with you? I mean, this scene, it's the best scene in the movie by far. But before that scene, he goes into the house to confront who the real villain is. And they start having a philosophical conversation about this. Because the villain's like, why are you so self-righteous? We learned we didn't always kill the right targets. We learned sometimes our government got it wrong. I'm just embracing who I I'm just embracing who I am. I'm a killer. They're just names on a page. That's all they are to me. Why are you getting so self-righteous? And Denzel says, because I, I did make those mistakes and I got a lot to atone for. And I'm, he basically says, I'm not atoning for them because I'm self-righteous, because I'm not. I goes, I have a lot of, he even verbalizes, I have a lot of sins that need to be atoned for. And the villain says, there is no sin. He says those words. There is no right and there is no wrong. There's just stuff, except he uses a different S word. There's just stuff that people do. And when I saw that exchange in the theater, I wondered, do the the script writers really know how potent and powerful that dialogue really is? Do they really know? Meaning, do they think they're just trying to come up with something eloquent and articulate? Or do they understand truly what they have gotten to the heart of? Because essentially, what the villain says is, did God really say? No. Then I'm fine, morally, subjectively, coming up with my own authority, my own morality, and what suits me. And if you defy that, you're self-righteous. Oh, and that whole, while I reject the Bible, let me pull one part of it out, out of context, because he even throws in to Denzel, judge not lest ye be judged. He even throws that in. 
Matthew 7 out of context. This dialogue was like so many of the theological conversations you'll get into on Twitter. And it is right in this movie, Todd. This time I think it's no accident. Denzel is a man of real purpose in his own life. I think he's part of things. He doesn't just accidentally. There's a reason why this was the first sequel he's ever done. Mm -hmm. He found a character with a message that can be told, uh, that he wants to tell, that can uh, carry with it. He can evangelize as the equalizer. And God bless him for it. Or the Book of Enoch. Yeah. Oh, well, which is a the great book of Eli. You mean? Or oh, Eli? Man. Did I say Enoch? I'm sorry. That, yeah. Talk about a that's a great movie. Underrated movie. Yeah. yeah, I think, given who the lead actor is, putting both those things in there, one, maybe one of them is a coincidence. Both of them can't be. Agreed. 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 You want to comment on this, Aaron? Or you want to go into the next movie? Uh, can we talk about The Last Jedi again? I watched that for the second time. <laughs> it went yes. by really fast, but then I remembered that it that I watched it in two sittings, so of course it seemed like it went by fast because it didn't try to watch it in one sitting. We don't have to talk about that, but that's the Did only Did you like thing. it better? Uh, yeah, well, it wasn't quite... I didn't have quite the visceral reaction, but it's still... like It, it would have been an awesome movie if they had just stopped when uh when ray and kylo were locked together in battle or like right after like right when right when uh, kylo is trying to get ray to come to the Mm -hmm. dark side they would have stopped there i would think it would have been an awesome awesome movie really seriously i think it's a great movie and after seeing it five times i think it could have potentially rivaled the Empire Strikes Back if they would have just taken out the entire Canto Bite sequence. That is such a drag on the rest of the movie. It is so irrelevant. They don't even they don't even come back from this from from with what they were going there for. You know what I'm, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yes. They don't even come back. I do. From, yeah. So and, it's just and, worthless. And they intru- and they bring back. Oh, who am I thinking of from the Force Awakens? The the gal who owns the uh, yeah yeah Maz Yeah, they bring her back. When really, if you first of all, she was a cool character. Secondly, if you want to bring her back, make her the code breaker. Yeah. Okay. But it, that's where the Last Jedi really runs, really feeds its political political critics. Because that sequence serves no use to the plot of the movie at all, except for Rose to get her social justice warrior on. Correct. It does nothing else. Even even the scene where, oh, what's his face, um, who plays the uh, the guy that helps them break out of the prison. Benito del Toro. Yeah, Benicio del Toro. Yeah. Even the scene they have on the ship on the way back where he says there are no sides. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You could have had that conversation in a different context, but you've already but to have that conversation with with Finn again, he's already overcome that. He did that in the first movie. He figured out there yes. are sides. You know what I'm saying? We didn't even that we didn't is that I thought that dialogue was great, but it was unnecessary. Finn already one had this argument with himself. At the end of The Force Awakens, there was no point in having the argument all over again. So we don't need, we didn't need his character, the entire Canto Bite sequence, the special effects, frankly, the CGI on the animals and stuff, 
are look much more like uh, uh, the Phantom Menace Gungans than they do some of the other high yeah. quality CGI. The whole thing brings the entire movie down. And and you're left with no 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 conclusion other than they just wanted to throw this SJW sequence in and wasted 30 minutes of everybody's time. Because if you take that thing out, the rest of the movie with the pacing and everything else is insanely good, I think. Insanely good. And we're having this argument yeah, again. Yeah, I mean, pacing. What are we doing? Yeah, pacing. Just put looking at pacing in a vacuum, I would agree. The audience like, I've heard this podcast 17 times. You're welcome, America. <laughs> What other movie were you talking about? Mission Impossible 2. Oh, yeah. Now, Mission Impossible 2 is not... Two. The last two movies of this series have just been... Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation have been insanely good. Rogue Nation is so well written. So cleverly done. The last one. This is more like Ghost Protocol. It is not that well written. Some of the dialogue is... Eh. But you don't care. Because like Ghost Protocol... This is some. This is some of the most breathtaking action you've ever seen in a movie. It it doesn't matter what the story is, and I don't remember most of it because it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, and when I say it doesn't matter, it's a little bit like, you know, when you've been on a great roller coaster ride in an amusement park. Do you remember if the funnel cake was stale? Do you remember if the bathrooms were crowded? You know what I'm saying? Sure. The, 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 the takeaway from that experience is so breathtaking that a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, when you're thinking back on that with your kids or your, your loved ones, you're remembering that moment on the ride. You know, for, I mean, like the last Disney trip we took or the only one we've taken as a family, you know, um, I ate something in Animal Kingdom I shouldn't have. I was sick the rest of the day. I don't remember. I, I, I'm, this is the, when I think about that trip, I don't think about any of that stuff. What I think about is sitting to go on Haunted Mansion, which was my favorite Disney ride as a child, and my and little Noah, who is three years old, and I'm holding him, is grabbing my neck, scared to death to go on, screaming out repeatedly, no daddy, no, no daddy, no, okay? That's what I'll remember forever. And that experience with him, okay? This movie's kind of like that. Now, if the action wasn't this good, you'd probably be like, uh, there, there's like numerous, uh, why do you leave the door open? I mean, that happens a lot in this movie where there's like, this is not a Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> okay. Like, this is an inception. This is not you're walking out of there thinking, oh, man, I don't know if I can figure this one out. This is pretty elementary. Okay. But dude... It's, you need to see this on the biggest screen you can. It is one of the most fun popcorn movie experiences you would have had in recent years. It takes your breath away at times how good it is, how good the action is. Now, there are villains in the film. I guess. I don't remember much about them. Uh, I do remember... Because the story's just... It's just not relevant to the movie. I do remember what drives the villains is extreme... They're known extreme anti-religious views. They're extreme. They 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 want to. They hate the church and want to impro, impose an extreme form of secularism. And throughout the course of the movie, by Alec Baldwin's character, by Angela Bassett's character, by his peers in the in the uh, 
in the in the MIF. I think that's what it's called, the Mission Impossible Force. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Okay. Throughout the film, Tom Cruise's character Ethan Hunt is praised because he refuses to abide by the utilitarian ethics that drives military operations. Essentially, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Like he re- when he refuses to to allow any of his fellow soldiers to be killed in order to save more. He he refuses all false choices and refuses to do anything bad. As he, he just refuses to do the lesser of two evils throughout the entire film. He rejects the premise, the false choice of the lesser of two evils every single time. And well, every that's ta- kind of like Christopher Nolan's Batman. And every time he is applauded for recognizing the morality of the one. At one point, Angela Bassett's character thanks him for reminding her their need to save the one. She even says that. So even in this film, which is pretty light in the story department, has numerous plot holes. But this is a film where they just, they give you some of the greatest action ever put on a movie screen. Even in this film, there's a couple of fascinating world viewpoints there. Your thoughts on those, gentlemen? I uh, I think I've seen two or three of the Mission Impossible movies. First of all, first and foremost, Tom Cruise is a space alien i'm pretty sure he is five um, years older than wilford brimley was when he filmed cocoon guys, when we were kids are you kidding all me? of the t- older all older. of the stunts in this movie he did yes like actually did not like cgi green screen no you like see it when you're at the theater stunts. too yeah um so kudos to to mr um <laughs> tom cruise was was that a good Tom Cruise laugh? I hope so. I don't know. What, Why are you so glib, Aaron? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I I mean I'm glad if, if you know if if it's going to be a popcorn movie, you might as well you know if, if there's going to be you know the, the story department is going to be a little bit light. Um, you can still flo- throw in glimmers of um, glimmers of uh, what you just described. Um, you know, just good heroic. Um, elements into a story and and actually have the audience come away with something uh, more than just uh, I watched some explosions. So you know that's cool. I I want to see it for no other reason than watching an old guy do stunts alone. Yeah. So. And he you see it. It's very obvious when they do the when you see the movie. He does all of his own stunts. Now my wife has a thing for Henry Cavill like I do for uh, Emily Blunt and uh, Nicole Kidman. So she would have been fine going just because he was in the movie for two hours. But um, I finally saw, speaking of Emily Blunt, I finally saw Quiet Place, by the way. You did? What'd you think? Loved it. Loved it. It didn't, uh, it just stayed in its lane and tried to do um, great work with a, um, it's not a particular complicated story. And if you think about that too much, with my wife is an editor. She's hyper literal. Mm-hmm. And so she kept asking that like, you have got to suspend your belief on certain things about what if being quiet all the time, you know, it's but if you just go with it, the, it, the story takes you to ask great, huge, big questions. Loved mm-hmm. it. So good work there. So this movie, you guys have got to go see this one and you got to go see on the biggest screen you can. Yeah. OK, I really want to. But I'm, uh, my wife wants to see Winnie the Pooh first. No, you need to see this one first. <laughs> I as you know, look at me, man. I'm going to My see Winnie the Pooh first. Just dropped by like ten yeah. points, Todd. I have. She has very even few know. cinematic or TV demands on me. 
Aaron, you'll be married someday. I am going to see Winnie the Pooh first. This is where you just needed to you just need to tell her one afternoon. I need a break for a couple hours. Just go see it yourself. I I have those, but they usually have to involve um, superheroes or Star Wars. You know, you can, how many times can you play that card? Cruise, man? Cruise is a space alien. Aaron's right. He's a superhero <laughs> in this film. She hates Tom Cruise too, so I can't. There you go. One. There you go. All right, final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this up. What do you think? Uh, I think I'm glad we do this, uh, and you're stubborn about it uh, with Pop Culture Tuesday. They, this is a way you've long lamented about how our worldview. Uh, Judeo-Christian, American exceptionalism, philosophical conservatism, uh, it, it has the ability to tell great stories. And uh, if we truly want to evangelize, we need to be finding a way to tell our stories in the realms that, as you say, broadcast and get into people's hearts, minds, and souls, whether they understand it's happening or not. It's a great starting place. Aaron? Yeah, uh, the line between uh, reality and um, and fantasy, unfortunately, in some situations, uh, is blurred uh, and is becoming increasingly blurred. Going back to the conversation about Man in the High Castle, the same thing could be said about other shows. God forbid the same thing could be said about Hunger Games someday, but you never know at the rate we're going. Well, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. I believe tomorrow's podcast, we have a very special guest, correct? Correct. Congressman Jim Jordan, who wants to be the next House Speaker will be the guest on our podcast here on Westwood One tomorrow. You don't want to miss that, which means no buy, sell, or hold, because we're going to talk to him instead. I'm sure you can get by without that for a week. If you get a time, please uh, click subscribe there on iTunes and Stitcher. Leave us a review if you could. Many of you have done that. Thank you very much. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. 